want to begin in uh, Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. <clears throat> so the Lord appears to Joshua. In chapter 1, the Lord tells Joshua, I'll be with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. And here, he's about to give him instructions concerning uh, Jericho. They have entered the promised land. The next generation... Moses has died, and Joshua's in charge now. And the generation that watched their parents and all the mistakes that their parents made, and they had to die in the wilderness for 40 years, now it's the next generation. And later in the book of Judges, it says that that whole generation served the Lord all their days. And here the Lord appears to Joshua and he says, Joshua says to him, are you for us or are you for our enemies? He says, no. No. He says, I'm the commander of the, of the commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. And as same as to Moses, he tells him to take the sandals off his feet. For the place... He was standing with holy ground. He was in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, we read in chapter 1, where he tells Joshua, I will never leave you and forsake you. Or forsake you. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Why shall we fear what man can do to us? Because he has promised us that he shall never leave us or forsake us. That message is to us also. And we see here the presence of the Lord before Joshua. The holy place. And we are told that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is present within us who are in Christ. And so that should be an encouragement to us. And as we go into the next chapter... He gives them instructions concerning Jericho. And we will pick up in chapter 1 and we'll read verses 1 to 16. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. 
none went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war, you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall, shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets, trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was, when Joshua had spoken to the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram, ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the, the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the gear, rear guard came after the, Lord, the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they were told to do something for seven days. For six days, they had a march around the city. I looked up <laughs> how, how far that was and how long it would take, and they... And the best estimates were it took about an hour to march around the city once. Okay, because of the priests carrying, uh, the, the Levites carrying the ark and the priests blowing the trumpets and all this whole parade. 
and they couldn't go right up against the wall because they get so they had to be out of arrows length and everything away from ear, from arrow shots. So they had to make this big circle around the city out of arrow where so that arrow couldn't reach them. And so they had to march around the city once a day. It was an hour, then the next day, and the natural mind is you know as their parents showed that the natural mind can begin to say, well, what is all this about? You know, and that was the, to their detriment, their, their parents' generation. And so they got to walk around this city for six days, and the, and the priests have to keep on blowing this trumpet the whole time they're walking around. And you know, sometimes God commands us to do things that seem a little different, seem strange to our natural man, and you know, so really, you know, we got to we got to do the God says here, and it doesn't seem normal. It doesn't seem in step with our society. It doesn't seem like what a lot of Christendom is doing, and you know, it it seems like we're always going against the flow and the stream, you know, and some of the things don't even seem logical. I mean, what is this going to do? Walking around seven times around the city, you know, and blowing these trumpets. What is all this going to do? Not logical. Doesn't make sense to our, our natural mind. But there's a lesson in it. These things have to be done trusting in what God says. And then on the seventh day, okay, now you got to walk around seven times. Seven hours? Or more, and he's got to take breaks too, right? I mean, these guys are carrying this ark and everything, and, and you know, all, all these people marching around with their armor and their, their spears or whatever they have, and it's marching and marching and marching. You got to take little breaks and everything, and maybe it took even more than seven hours. And they're going around, they're around, blowing the trumpet for seven hours, carrying this ark of the covenant for seven hours. But the one thing that this generation learned, apparently, was don't question God's way. You know, their parents questioned it, when God, and they saw the cities like Jericho that were walled and everything, and, and the castles and the giants and everything, and, and they, they were afraid. And so they had to wait until their parents had passed away for 40 years in the wilderness. And this next generation, they had learned whatever God says, we got to do it. This makes sense, it don't make sense, it doesn't matter, we got to do it. So there they go, round seven times. <clears throat> and then after the seven times they walk around with a, carrying the Ark of the Covenant and blowing the trumpets after seven times, seven, eight hours, whatever this thing's going to take says, all right, then shout. And the walls are going to fall flat. And every man runs straight into the city. That happened just the way they were instructed and the way God said it would happen. Archaeologists, non-religious archaeologists, confirm that somehow the walls of that city, which were very thick and were about 13 feet high, fell straight down. They didn't fall over. They went straight down. And in their unbelief and not believing in the power of God, they said it must have been an earthquake. 
to happen. Something happened and some natural phenomena happened. Well, whatever happened, we know it happened just when God said it would happen. And the walls went straight down. And we know that when a city is about to be attacked and that an army is mounting up to do warfare against a, a city that they're laying siege to, that the army inside the city goes up and a lot of them are right in the walls. And so there is a um, good possibility that a lot of the defenders of the city of Jericho collapsed with the walls and perished in there. We don't have any confirmation of that, but it's an assumption. But all we know is that they went in and took the city. The walls went down and they went in and took the city. And the great lesson in it is that when God tells us and He commands us to trust Him and to trust His Word and to do things that He says even if they don't make sense and aren't logical and don't have and the natural mind doesn't comprehend these things, that's okay. The natural mind doesn't understand the things of God. It says it right in Corinthians. Uh, the natural mind does not comprehend the things of God. They must reveal, be revealed to us by His Spirit. We have the Spirit, not of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that, he may, that we, he, we may know the things that God has freely given to us. They are revealed by the Holy Spirit, by revelation of the Spirit, not by the work of scholarship. They are revealed by the Spirit. Pharisees and Sadducees were scholars. They didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah. Because it isn't revealed by scholarship. It is revealed by the Spirit. And the Lord was with Joshua and the people of Israel. The second example I want to go to is in 2 Kings chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verses 9 to 14. 2 Kings 5, 9 to 14. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots, chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed I, indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farper, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? 
Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you, have not, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Many sermons have been made on this passage of Scripture. It's a very uh, powerful story, and a powerful, simple message in it. Now, we didn't read the whole story for the sake of time, but Naaman was a leader of the army of Syria. And when he was in Syria, he found out that there was a, a prophet in Israel that could heal him. Some, a servant girl from Israel kind of got learned from that that, uh, that there's this uh, prophet in Israel that could heal him. And so he, he was sent by the king of Syria to the king of Israel, and eventually he goes to the prophet Elisha. And so he does all this traveling, and he comes... And, you know, they knock on the door of Elisha and he goes, go wash in the water in Jordan seven times, you'll be clean. And you see here the natural mind at work in the man named in the Syrian. He's looking for some sort of Pentecostal TV preacher kind of waving and shouting over some guy and maybe, you know, putting his hand on his head and pushing him down or something or doing some sort of, you know, fancy, you know, Say something, you know, real powerful over him, and you know, some sort of, you know, real powerful thing that, you know, that he would do. And when Elisha said, "Just go tell him to wash in the Jordan River," he gets angry. You know, we got better rivers than this muddy Jordan River over there in our own country. I traveled all this way. And, and, and came on and did all, went through all this to go wash in a dirty river. I could have done that back home. And so he went away in a rage, furious. And his servants came up to him. Hey, look, he told you to do something hard when you do it. This is something simple. Just go do it and see what happens, you know. And so he did it. And the power of God was present there to heal him. You know, the simple simplicity sometimes of the Word of God. It's kind of like the saying, we can't see the forest because the trees are in the way. It's right there in front of our eyes, but it's we make it a lot more complicated than it really is. And the servants of Naaman saw it here. And he was healed of his leprosy. What can we as New Testament Christians gain insulate from these things. You know, it's it's a lot simpler but much more powerful than we imagine. When we take God at his word, whether simple or difficult, you know, there's an end result that he promises that attached to it. Whether it's go wash in that river right there seven times, dip seven times, you hit that's easy to do. Or march around a city seven times. 
on the seventh day six to, uh, seven times and blowing trumpets and all this marching it wasn't as easy but the fact of the matter is there was promises attached to both and that is the insight that we can get with it just putting our trust in the things that God has said In Matthew chapter, um, I believe it's 26. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded, to, uh, commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission, go into all the world making disciples, teaching them to observe some version, say, obey all things that I have commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Similarly, as he said to Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to be with you always. The Lord is with us, even to the end of the age. Now the people that were standing there when Jesus said that are not around anymore. That message is to our generation too, even to the end of the age. And as we see, as we see things changing and the world changing and the signs of the times are all around us, we see the signs are about us but sometime in the future, Jesus' return is coming. As in the parable of the fig tree. We know that summer is near. We see the signs of Jesus' return are in the air. Or in the earth, in the world we see. But He's with us always. And we're to teach, make disciples to teach them to obey what Jesus said. All things, observe all things that He commanded us. And some of those things are not easy in this generation. Some of those things don't even, they seem to be out of tune and out of step completely with our times. I remember as a kid being raised in the Catholic Church. They were, all the women were commanded to wear, you weren't allowed in the church building for a meeting, for church service. If you're a woman unless your head was covered and then when I was in elementary school the Vatican put out this thing saying well you don't have to do that anymore and isn't it interesting it was at the same time that the women's liberation movement in the mid to late 60s was in operation and the whole idea of women submitting to men and it wasn't just in the Catholic Church I found out later uh, a pastor of a church that I know he was raised in the Assemblies of God Church. And he said, and he was older than me. He was like 20 years older than me. 
And he said when he was growing up, he said all the women covered their heads. I said, why do they stop? He said, oh, well, he said the women, they wearing these hats, real big, look like fruit baskets and everything. He said, block, people couldn't even see. And so after a while, they just stopped doing it. What kind of explanation is that? So the fact of the matter is, is that um, sometimes Christendom changed to adapt to the times. But whether it's church order, like we have talked at different times about whether women would be allowed to speak in the church and what it commands in the scriptures, and that seems to be completely out of step with our times and with the way the world's going and all, you know, it's completely, totally unpopular and it might even seem, it's, it's very offensive to some. I remember not too long after we started meeting in this house, the brother who used to meet with us, the late Dan Halsapel, he put out a, a church um, thing in the internet, the website on the internet, and uh, a, a man from uh, Norristown on Halls Avenue, he invited me over to his house, he went to talk, he wanted to know about it. We were talking about different things, and he was in agreement with a lot of things we believed. But then when he found out we didn't allow the women to speak, to teach in the church meetings, he laughed. I mean, he literally laughed. He says, <laughs> he says, if you guys do that, he goes, never will ever come. I says, we'll never have, you know. Well, this is what the Lord commands. You know, we know it's not popular in our times, seeing that, you know, there's many things, and and there's been abuses and throughout the age of the church and men being oppressive to women that made the pendulum swing the other way too. But the fact of the matter is that that's what it commands. And it may seem strange and it may seem offensive within Christianity, but that's okay. Because this is the word of the Lord to us. And the Lord is with us always. The third example we want to turn to, but from the Old Testament, is in the book of Judges, where God tells um, Gideon to go forth and take on the Midianite army of 120,000. And they have 25,000 Israelites, I believe, 30,000, and God pairs it down to 300 men. There's too many of you. Because if you go, you'll say, well, it's just because we have the, we, you know, our great strength in it. God wants us to trust in Him in such a way that we, when we, our prayers are answered and things happen, we know that it's only the power of God that could have done it. And not our logic and our own strength or anything else, or the strength of man or anything else. And you know, sometimes God takes us to those places where our backs seem to be up against the wall, and the only answer is, trust God or not. It's an uncomfortable place, and it's a place that, frankly, our human nature doesn't want to be in, because it seems impossible. But the things that God say are not impossible. 
Things that are impossible with men are possible with God. So the next place we will read is in Ephesians chapter 6. I have a few more. Verses 10 to 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And this is the question. Do we believe the things that the Word of God says? And to take up the armor of God. This is a command. And you know... We're in a war. Whether we like it, whether we believe it, or we don't, it's fact. We're in a war. And it is a war of the unseen. The war of spirits. It's a spiritual war. And we, like it or not, are right smack in the middle of it. I don't I don't like it. I'm not comfortable. It doesn't matter. It's true. Facts are the facts, and we have to face reality. We can't live in a dreamland. We can't live in a a false world. This is the reality. We are in a war. And the Lord says, prepare for it. Be prepared. Take up the whole armor of God. Everything God has given us to fight in this war. Use it. To be able to stand against these supernatural forces. Please understand this. When we're against supernatural forces, we are no match naturally for them. And that's why the natural mind will bring nothing but disaster if we try to fight the spiritual with carnal. And yet, we see this history The history of the church, this happens over and over again. The history of the church lays it out that Christendom has tried to match the spiritual with the carnal. And has led multitudes astray in so many ways. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And it lays out spiritual weapons. Prayer, shield of faith, truth, righteousness in Christ. 
and having done all, be able to stand. That you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all, to stand. What happens if we don't take up the whole armor of God? We're not able to stand. The enemy beats us up. I mean, it's predictable, isn't it? You know, we read the story of Jericho. We didn't read the part that goes on. There was one guy who didn't follow the instructions. Don't take anything from that city. The gold, or the, that's all dedicated to the Lord. Guy hit it, took a piece of gold and, and, a, and a beautiful garment and hid it in a hole under his, you know, in his tent. Brought disaster on himself and his whole family. The natural versus the spiritual. The armor of God is spiritual and not carnal. And so when we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we see the continuation of this message. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 3 to 5 and verse 7. Just 3 to 5 first. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Mm -hmm. We are walking in our bodies. As he says, even though we're walking in our bodies, in our flesh, he says, our war is not according to the flesh. You know, all this fighting against evil and the crusades and all these other things that have been done in Christendom and how misguided all that stuff is. The weapons of our warfare are not natural. They are not guns and bombs and spears and swords. The warfare of the Christian is not that. It's a spiritual war and there are spiritual weapons. As we read in Ephesians chapter 6, put on all the armor of God, the weapons of God, not the weapons of natural reasoning and human nature, and the way of the world, and all the natural stuff, spiritual stuff. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual, not carnal, not natural. Put them on. Use them. What do they use them to do? Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Fortresses, like Jericho. But not natural fortresses. Spiritual fortresses. Well, where are they? Where are these fortresses at? Where are these strongholds at? The next verse tells us. Casting down imaginations, the King James Version says, or arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought captive to obeying Christ. That's where these strongholds are. They're in our mind.
there are the, the natural reasonings and logic and scholarship and the way of the world and human wisdom. Those things have to be torn down and we must bring every thought captive to obeying Christ, to the Word of God, to the New Testament. We have to line our mind up with the New Testament and to walk in the way of, of, of the Word of God. In order to do that, there's a lot of things that got to go. They have to be torn down, brought down to the ground, destroyed. And line up our minds and our hearts with the Word of God. And all the things that God say that, you know, seem strange sometimes. You know, why does God's the Word seem strange sometimes? It's because God is not a man. It says it. God is not a man that he should repent, or the son of man that he should change his mind. That helps us a lot to understand that very basic truth. God is not a man. So that when he tells us to do things and he teaches us and he guides us, sometimes it's going to seem odd, strange. Like it did to Naaman. Why didn't Elisha just? Why didn't God just have Elisha just go out there and put his hand on him and say, "Be healed," and it's done? That's what Naaman was thinking. You know, why didn't he just wave his arms over him and say some kind of an incantation of some sort and you know pray over him and it'd be done? Jesus spit on the ground and made mud. He picked it up, made clay, and he put it on the eyes. The blind man said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And you know, some people might have said, well, why does he make him do that? He can, if he, you know, why can't he just, you know, and be done like he did to other people? But it said he went and he washed and he came away seeing. He did what he was told. And he got the end result of what he was told to do. And he was healed. Yes, the Word of God may seem a little peculiar, a little strange to our minds, a little odd, and out of step and out of style. <clears throat> the story of Noah. Builds an ark on dry land. Builds an ark. The people around him wonder what in the world is he doing. I remember a when I before I was a Christian hearing a comedian making a mockery of it. And he was talking about God's instructions. And so he started talking about God giving instructions to Noah. And it has to be, you know, all, you know, all this height, which is, and all this length, it was about 450 feet long. And wide. And so this comedian's mimicking it, and then he mimics Noah's response. Yeah, right. Like, and it was like, because why? Because it seems so, so crazy and strange to the human mind for a man to be building a, this giant ship on the earth like this. But in the end, when he obeyed God, it says that Noah moved with godly fear for the saving of his household. Build an ark. And the floods came after they went in the ark. 
Nobody thought it was foolish then. After the rain started coming and the floods of the deep broke loose. And the message is clear. Putting our trust in what God says. Do we believe that we are a new creation? Do we believe that we've been freed from sin? As the Word of God says. Do we believe, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open to you? Do we believe in the teaching of Jesus and the apostles about returning evil with good? To bless those who curse us. It takes faith to do these things. Our natural mind doesn't want to do these things. Our natural mind prefers the Old Testament when it comes to some things. You never to uh, the eye for eye, a tooth for a tooth appeals to our human nature much more. Love our enemies. Do we believe, therefore I say to you, whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you shall have them. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. Do we believe that when we give that God will bless us in return? Give and it shall be given to you. Do we believe in the things about family structure and marriage? Jesus returned. And finally, the last thing I'm going to share, I'll just read it. It's in the book of Psalms. And it's in verse 42. Verse 8 says, The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. My enemies reproach me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, my, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance, my God. He's still our helper. He's still our God. Our soul should not be discouraged within us. Why should we be cast down, O my soul? Hope in God instead. For I shall praise Him, for He is the help of my countenance and my God. Our countenance is the appearance of our face. You know, sometimes we're downcast in our soul and it shows on our face. As a man believes in his heart, so he is. And so it, it happens that when we're discouraged, sometimes we try to put on a happy face, but boy, you know, we become discouraged on the inside and it shows up on the outside. Instead, put our trust in what God has said. He is the help our helper, He is our God. And He has promised us many things. And the promises of God, God are yes in Christ. And amen to the glory of God. 
So that's what I have today. I'm going to open it up to, to Dave, to you, and to Dan. Anybody else wants to 